I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program is Captain Charles Moore talking about plastic ocean. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, the threats to our global environment by human-induced effects are far-reaching. Pollution has affected the ocean in innumerable ways. In particular, the large amounts of plastic debris that cannot be broken down by the environment have persisted in the ocean. How have the oceans been affected by our human pollution? Well, joining today to discuss this issue is Captain Charles Moore. Captain Moore recounts his discovery of the Great North Pacific Garbage Patch in his new release, Plastic Ocean, how a sea captain's chance discovery resulted in a determined quest to save the oceans. And, Professor Moore, we want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, you know, some people call me doctor, and I'm a captain, and some, now you've called me a professor. And <laughs> so as, a, as a, a boat driver, I'm doing pretty good. Well, I think you've certainly made more discoveries than a lot of scientists, professors, uh, doctors. So, Well, uh, as it turns out, the wonderful thing about science is that it cares about the knowledge, not about the title. And uh, if you can produce some new knowledge and do it in a rigorous scientific way and publish it in a peer-reviewed journal, you can... Uh, get people thinking you're a doctor or a professor, but you're you're really what you're doing is you're giving something valuable to uh, people of the world that they want to know about. I, I certainly think you deserve uh, whatever appellation you get, but uh, uh, you have certainly made an interesting discovery and counted in the book. Well, you know, uh, uh, here in Southern California, a lot of us kids uh, that uh, live near the ocean uh, kind of grow up in a similar vein as a marine mammal. I think, you know, uh, seals and sea lions like to haul out, uh, as they call it, on rocks and beaches and, and warm up. It helps them digest their food, and, and they spend a lot of time out of the water. And I think in in, in some senses, uh, us kids here in Southern California in the 50s and 60s uh, grew up as pretty much as marine mammals. We were in the water about as much as, as a seal or a sea lion. We're surfing and skiing and swimming and boogie boarding and you name it you know uh we're just having a ball in the water and 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 the 50s uh it was the ocean of Jacques Cousteau it was a uh, a world uh, fresh to discovery the idea of, of seeing underwater uh, had only been approached by Jules Verne in in a movie with uh, you know Kirk Douglas uh and being uh, fanciful. You know, we didn't really know what things looked like underwater very much in the 1950s. And uh, it was a, a real unknown. And now what uh, future generations are faced with is a depleted, polluted ocean that doesn't carry that kind of mystery and adventure that the ocean uh, of 1950 carried, and that's sort of what motivates me. As a marine mammal, I'm 
pissed off that uh, we've trashed the ocean. And, and my research indicates that it really has uh, been a destructive encounter with the global system. The, 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 the ability of our species to destructively interreact with planetary systems is now becoming manifest. And uh, the fact that uh, these plastic particulates especially are in every niche in the ocean realm and act both as predator and prey uh, in just about every trophic level uh, is disgusting. Trawls that we do are surface trawls for the most part, although we've done down to 100 meters. We've done uh, 30 meters and 50 meters and 100 meter trawls. So we've looked at the mixed layer pretty thoroughly, and none of those trawls that we've done in the Pacific Ocean have been plastic free. Now, uh, there are some much more polluted than others, and there are other scientists that have done trawls and uh, found no plastic in them. Uh, but the point is that you don't have to trawl very long or very far, whether it's in the Arctic, the subarctic, the tropical zone. Uh, just about any latitude in any of the world's oceans now, uh, you're going to find plastic. It just so happens that uh, there are five major accumulation zones, and we've now trawled all of those, and those are producing you know, upwards of 100,000 pieces per square kilometer. So, obviously, all this plastic in the ocean can't be good for the ocean. How is it affecting the wildlife there, and how does that go on to affect humans? Well, as I said earlier, it's both predator and prey. Uh, as predator, it uh, does what's known as ghost fishing. Uh, these uh, particles of net, these strapping bands, and the, the famous uh, six-pack rings uh, capture animals. They get stuck in them. Uh, you see anything uh, that has a, a, an aperture uh, will find something that will fit in that aperture and you know most marine species don't have arms and legs to you know knock things off with uh, they're not in a they're not in a position to you know get themselves out of a fix like that and so they're stuck and they continue growing if they get in as a juvenile and uh, this thing cuts into their flesh, uh, changes their shape. We have seen these turtles with a, a shell that looks like a Barbie doll waist because they've uh, got into a band as a baby, and then their shell has had to grow on either side of this band, and so they end up looking like they have this skinny little waist. Uh, and that's the ones that survive. There's many, of course, die. So... Uh, we don't have, you know, it's really hard to count dead things in the ocean because they get consumed right away by scavengers. But it's it's very certain that uh, the uh, order of magnitude of death caused by this ghost fishing in the ocean is in the millions. Uh, millions of marine animals are dying every year from this ghost fishing. Then we have the opposite end of the spectrum in which the plastic uh, pollution in the ocean takes on the form of prey. Uh, uh, the ocean, by and large, is what we call a depauperate environment. It's really not a lot of stuff there. You have to swim for quite a while to find something a lot of times if you're an animal looking for food in the ocean. It's just it's a real easy place to get around in. doesn't require a lot of energy, so you can cover a lot of territory without having to consume a lot of food. Uh, but now, uh, in our studies, we found that uh, these plastic bits are more common in some areas than the actual planktonic organisms that might be ingested as prey. 
and uh, in a study of uh, lanternfish, which is actually the most common fish in the ocean, the lanternfish taken together, all the different species uh, are greater than 50% of all fish biomass. Uh, those lanternfish that we uh, captured, 671 of them, 35% uh, had consumed plastic, and uh, some of them had more plastic in their guts than, than natural food. Uh, we had one little fish about as big as your finger uh, with 83 pieces of plastic in its little stomach uh, in the millimeter size class. So th these fish migrate. The reason they're the greatest uh, number of them and weight of them in the ocean compared to other fish is because they live their lives in darkness and avoid capture by other fish. Uh, they uh, live about a mile deep during the day when it's uh, light so that they're in darkness below the photic zone. And then they migrate to the surface in the uh, evening and spend the night uh, foraging at the surface so they don't discriminate. We couldn't find any uh, color or shape that they preferred. It's just whatever was there and whatever would fit in their mouth basically is what's going in. And that's a good strategy if you're living in the deep ocean because uh, we really don't find uh, non-biodegradable stuff there. I mean, we don't even find branches. But the only thing uh, non-biodegradable out there is pumice and, and a little bit of natural tar seepage. But now we've we've augmented that just exponentially with these plastic shards. And uh, it's uh, non-nutritive and non-digestible. It's a sponge for persistent organic pollutants, so it's like a poison pill. But in addition to that, these uh, creatures want to migrate back down, and they've got little flotation devices in their belly. So they're not getting any energy from the food that they've eaten, and they're being pushed back toward the surface as they attempt to get down. And you're thinking about it, this is the base of the food web in the ocean. This is what the greatest biomass in the ocean is what the seals are eating, the dolphin are eating, the swordfish, the tuna, the porpoises are all eating these guys. And if they're going to die out because their diet gets replaced with plastic, then that's going to be bad news for the rest of the species in the ocean. Well, it's almost really not surprising that's all they can find to eat. This plastic outweighs the zoonotic plankton by about a factor of six to one. That was in 1999. We've since been back and found ratios ranging from uh, 26 to 1 to 46 to 1. So uh, I'm going to say on average now in 2011, you're looking at 36 to 1, uh, six times more than was there in 1999 in the same area. Where's all this plastic coming from? Well, uh, you know, uh, plastic is the defining material of the modern age. Uh, everything comes wrapped in plastic. Uh, plastic is our clothes. Plastic is our furniture. Plastic is our transportation. Um, so we're all part of this problem. Uh, and, you know, if you're going to make plastic deliver individual servings and, and tiny little bits of this and that and have to get into it by ripping a, a bit of the end of that package off, even if you save the package, you still, you know, you're faced with the fact, what do I do while I'm eating my food with this little piece I've just ripped off? I mean, think about those tea tags that are in the sweater you bought. You know, you cut one end of it off. What, where does the other end go? You never find it. I mean, it's just even a responsible person that's really cares about not littering uh, and doesn't want to be a quote-unquote litter bug. Um, 
is inevitably going to be one because of the fact that we spend so much time taking stuff out of plastic and it's so hard to get in and 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 you have to hold on to it for so long before you find a suitable place to put it. I mean, I think if you compare uh, the amount of time we spend opening stuff that's contained in plastic to sleep, I mean, it's the second most non-productive activity in our lives next to sleep is opening up plastic packages and then have it, expecting us to be able to dispose of that properly and somehow get it recycled uh, is just more than we can do. And, and that's why it's showing up at the mouths of every urban river and mats and making its way to the ocean. And it's got to the point now where the stuff is so cheap that fishermen are uh, buying nets, going out and catching fish, and the fish are worth more than the nets. So in order to load the boat as full as they possibly can, they'll throw the net overboard and just use that space to carry the catch home. So uh, we're not even getting the fishermen to bring their nets back in many cases. Obviously, it's a systemic problem, so much so that one wonders how we begin to mitigate this problem. Well, I think that we're going to have to redirect our uh, technical expertise toward a steady-state economy. The, the, the fact is that a plastic is a lubricant of globalization, and globalization is based on the desperate need for economic growth that uh, is uh, bandied about a, as if it were a religious dogma, that the only way we can save ourselves is to grow economically, and uh, plastic facilitates that. You, you throw your factory into a container, put it on a container ship, take it to the cheapest labor market, whether it's in Indonesia, Sri Lanka, Taiwan, wherever it is, and uh, throw your factory into a building, start making that product, and you package that in plastic. That's an air and moisture barrier. It prevents oxidation. It, it uh, prevents uh, it from getting dirty, uh, prevents it from rusting, whatever it is. It brings it back to the uh, consumer market in a pristine condition, and so it facilitates globalization. So it's the lubricant of globalization, as I like to call it, and uh, by uh, doing this, uh, we're trashing the planet. Uh, it's just sort of inevitable since we, we really don't create any infrastructure for taking it back. Uh, all these little bits and pieces of plastic have no viable economic market for recycling. We're, we're really doing less than 5% worldwide uh, recycling for the plastics that we make, which is, you know, between one-third and one-half throwaway packaging. And uh, given that scenario, um, I think uh, the answer, ha you know, we have to, uh, as uh, kind of a, it may seem like a disconnect, but to me it's gotten to be very real, and that is uh, local production of goods. Uh, the idea that we can uh, have a regional reliance uh, for our food, shelter, clothing, and energy and um, not have to wrap everything up to get it where it needs to go and get used, uh, I think uh, is viable. And I think that, you know, I'm a big picture kind of guy, and uh, that's what I think is the big picture. I don't think by speeding up, by going faster in the wrong direction, uh, we're going to do any good for the ocean. Well, certainly a shift to a more local economy uh, benefits uh, not just the oceans, but also the, the air environment as well. Do you think that there's um, 
any kind of general movement in that direction? I mean, certainly it's it's tough. Uh, for... there, yeah, oh, uh, there's no question. Uh, I've uh, been uh, lecturing uh, both in Canada and the United States, uh, Mexico, and uh, I, I uh, met a, a, a theoretician of the regional reliance inventory up in uh, Canada in uh, Vancouver, and uh, the uh, British Columbia uh, is is becoming a, a real um, uh, proving ground for a lot of these ideas, and uh, it's just a concept. As a scientist, you'll understand a, an equation which has as the numerator those things that you can make locally: food, shelter, clothing, and energy. That you know your region can provide for its citizens. And and the denominator is what you have to import that you need in order to get the basics out of life. And the goal is to increase the fraction, to get the numerator growing and the denominator shrinking. And I think we can do that. We can we can make a list of the, the businesses in our region that provide these things that we need. We can create an economy based on that uh, and lists and, you know, uh, rely on our region. So I think that's why she called it uh, the regional reliance inventory. Well, it, it is certainly, uh, I mean, a challenge, I think, for the future. Yeah. Well, I think, we, first of all, I think uh, the awareness has to be raised of the issue. We've uh, kind of realized uh, as much as we don't want to that... Uh, the climate has become rather chaotic compared to what we experienced in our youth or, you know, if we're young people, we still recognize, you know, as people tell us that these climate uh, events uh, are chaotic now. It's very difficult to predict. Uh, we've we've left uh, what uh, Dumanowski refers to as the, the, the long summer, you know, uh, and now we're getting into this kind of turbulent situation. And uh, we've come to recognize that against our will. And I think that's the kind of realization that we need uh, with plastic is we didn't intend to mess up the ocean with plastic. Uh, and we've got to realize that it's a serious situation. It's killing so many animals that I think it's doing more damage to the biosphere than global warming right at the present, uh, that's how many things it's killing. I mean, there's no doubt that people are dying due to drought and floods, but there's a lot of death being caused uh, in uh, the animal kingdom by plastics. And so we need to recognize that. And then at the end of the day, we need to withdraw from this lifestyle that has us uh, embracing uh, throwaway plastics. The whole concept of throwaway living is the culprit. And we want things that last, that fulfill a purpose, that aren't junk, uh, and that, you know, when we do need plastic, uh, you you know, you want to have that hip replacement last. You, you That's the great thing about plastic. It la you can make it last a long time. So let's develop plastics that are used in applications where we really want them to last a long time because we're throwing away permanent plastics that are like diamonds they are lasting forever out there in the ocean and it's uh, causing irreparable harm. Well, the book is called Plastic Ocean, How a Sea Captain's Chance Discovery Launched a Determined Quest to Save the Oceans. Captain Moore, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. 
Well, it was real great talking to you, and I uh, really uh, enjoy speaking to fellow scientists, even though I'm not a professor or a doctor. <laughs> well, we, we do appreciate you being on the program, and it was really a fascinating discussion. A few seconds, we would quickly like to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. Go for it. It's time to play the game, the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic debris or substantive. So for the following five individuals, the Grokatron 5000, like to know if you think uh, you would rate them as more being debris-like or being more substantive, and a little reason why. Captain Moore, ready to play the game? Ready. Okay, person number one, debris or substantive, it's the golfer Tiger Woods. Uh, debris, because focus on competitive sport uh, takes away from the the desperate need uh, to focus on uh, cooperation. We need really uh, to get away from this idea of beating the other guy, and we need to have empathy for the other guy, and, and that competitive sport doesn't foster that. Uh, number two, it's uh, the famed environmentalist Al Gore. Al Gore is absolutely substantive. I have uh, the only criticism I have is uh, the corporatist, uh, you know, focus. Uh, like when I uh, talk to him about the steady state economy, and the, you know, we're like bacteria on a petri dish. We can't grow anymore. He said he knew that, but he decided not to lead with that. And I believe the reason he doesn't lead with the need to change the economic paradigm is because his funders are part of the the, the status quo economic paradigm. Uh, number three, it's the actor Charlie Sheen. Uh, give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Uh, yeah, um, there's there's nothing there but but some some good smoke and some good drinks. <laughs> okay, number four, the late Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau was a, a visionary, and a pioneer who I much admire, and he, the, what I remember most about him was he said, "The next generation, how will we greet them?" And now we're being forced to greet them as a burden, and that's a shame. Uh, we really should greet them as our liberators, and we need to create a, a liberating force in the next generation. So we have to greet them as our liberators. Hmm, indeed, indeed. Okay, and finally, number five, it's the President of the United States, Barack Obama. A great disappointment. Nevertheless, we have to admire him for getting uh, to the position he did and, and liberating uh, the many uh, African-Americans in the world uh, to believe in their dreams. So although uh, he's been a failure policy-wise, his symbolism is a great advantage to the many of the world's people. All right. Well, Captain Moore, I want to thank you very much for sticking around playing a game and, again, talking about your book, Plastic Ocean. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Thanks for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.